It is uh, good to be here with you this morning uh, and want to welcome you again uh, as we did a few minutes ago. If you're a first time guest with us, uh, my name is Chad. I'm the student and worship pastor uh, this morning. So let me just go ahead and apologize. You get me on your first day here and I apologize uh, for that. But hopefully uh, things will be back to normal a little bit. Uh, Joe and John and I feel like we haven't seen each other, or all been in the same place at one time in, in quite a, a while. It's been a very busy summer, so we're excited. I'm excited to uh, be behind the pulpit this morning as opposed to being behind the guitar. It's a little bit of a change for me, uh, but I'm excited to have the opportunity to do that. And so this morning, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and please turn with me to Luke. And We're going to be at Luke chapter 7. Uh, we're going to continue our journey through Luke, and we'll start in verse 18, and we'll go to verse 35. Uh, if you don't have a Bible with you this morning, you should have one located there in the seat back in front of you. If, you, if you're using that Bible, it's going to be on page 561. And I just want to say, if you don't, if you don't have a Bible, uh, please feel free to take that one as our gift uh, to you. So, before um, we read this, I, I want to point out four different parts of this passage so that as we read, um, you can understand a little bit better as to, to what's going on here. So, the first part of this passage we find in verses 18 through 20. John the Baptist is sending two of his disciples to ask Jesus a very important question. And it's important to understand the reason that John the Baptist is sending them is because he can't go himself. John is in prison. And needless to say, he is a little bit discouraged. And not long ago, you'll remember, he was saying of Jesus, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He baptized Jesus. He proclaimed Him as the Messiah. The Promised One. And now, John finds himself in prison. At the hands of a petty tyrant. So if you don't understand that, the rest of this passage is really not going to make a whole lot of sense to you. This is a great... A godly man, and all of a sudden, his world is just turned upside down. And he's shaken. And he is asking himself, Jesus, was I right about you? Are you the one that we're looking for? Now know this, John's not a skeptic. He's a true believer. He's a true believer who is in a tough, tough spot. And he's struggling with doubt. The second part that I want you to pay attention to, you're going to find in verses 21 and 22. And I want you to take note how Jesus responds to John's question. Jesus doesn't just respond 
to John with words. I want you to take note of that. The third part is verses 24 through 28. And this is what Jesus does after John's disciples leave. The crowd around Jesus is very interested in Jesus' views on John. They're very interested in what Jesus has to say about John. They have a very high view of John. And Jesus turns to them and says some incredible things. And I want you to take note of that as we read. And then the fourth part is verses 29 through 35. Jesus has a word in the crowd uh, for those in the crowd that aren't interested in him or John. So let's go <coughs> to the word of God, Luke chapter 7, verse 18 through 35. The disciples of John reported all these things to him. Let me just stop right there. All these things. What is he talking about? He's talking about the things that John preached about last week. The things that, that he had, uh, that, uh, Jesus had just done. So he, he reports, uh, back to them these things. And John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to the Lord saying, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? And when the men had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you saying, are you the one who is to come or shall we look for another? In that hour, he healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits. And on many who were blind, he bestowed sight. And he answered them, go and tell John what you have seen and heard the blind receive their sight the lame walk lepers are cleansed the deaf hear the dead are raised the poor have good news to preach to them and blessed and the one is the one who is not offended by me when john's messengers had gone jesus began to speak to the crowd concerning john what did you go into the wilderness to see a reed shaken by the wind? What did, did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who are dressed in splendid clothing and live in luxury are in king's courts. What then did you go to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messengers before your face, who will prepare your way before you. I tell you, among those born of women, women, none is greater than John. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. When all the people heard this, and the tax collectors too, they declared God just, having been baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and the lawyers rejected the purpose of God for themselves, not having been baptized by Him. To what then shall I compare the people of this generation? And what are they like? They are like children sitting in a marketplace calling to one another. We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We sang a dirge and you did not weep. 
For John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine. And you say, he has a demon. The Son of God has come eating and drinking. And you say, look at him. A glutton and a drunkard. A friend of tax collectors and sinners. Yet wisdom is justified by all her children. Are you the one, Jesus? Or shall we look for another? This is the message that He sends His disciples to Jesus to ask. And this is the message that we have to ask ourselves. Do we believe that Jesus is who He says He is? Do we live like our whole hope is in Him? Or, do we live placing our faith in other things? Do we live placing our faith in election results? Bank accounts? Our employment status? Our good health? Relationships? Take any of these things away And what happens to our faith? John was a true believer. But the events in his current situation had caused even his faith to be shaken. Horatio Spafford was a lawyer in Chicago in the late 1800s. He had a Thriving law practice. He had a beautiful wife, four daughters, and a young son. He was a devout, devout Christian. He was a student of the Scriptures. Uh, some of his closest friends were D.L. Moody and Ira Sankey and other well-known Christians of the day. And at the height of his professional career, his young son takes ill and dies. Spafford had used a lot of his wealth to acquire real estate in the Chicago area. And just a few short months after his young son had died on October 8, 1871, the Great Chicago Fire destroyed almost every investment that Spafford had. After a couple of years of rebuilding and reorganizing and recuperating, in 1873, Spafford scheduled a boat to Europe for a vacation. He had to send his wife and daughters and several friends that were going with him on ahead because he had some last minute unexpected business to come up. He had planned uh, to join them and D.L. Moody, who was preaching a revival in England. And he was going to join them. Several days later, Spafford received a message, a telegraph from his wife. On the way to England, 
the ship in heavy fog had collided with another. And the message that Spafford received was saved alone. What shall I do? In a matter of just a few short years, Horatio Spafford had lost a son. He'd lost a fortune. And now he had lost four daughters. And as he boarded the boat that would take him to his grieving wife on the boat, as they approached the place where his daughters had perished and several friends had perished, he wrote these words, When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, Thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Horatio Spafford's faith, I'm sure, was shaken. And I'm sure he was asking God, what are you doing in my life? And his response was to write down these words, to pour out his heart in lyric. And several years later, Philip Bliss would take those words and put them to music. And these words have blessed countless thousands over the generations. These words that we just sang a few minutes ago. John is in prison. His whole life had been, dedicating to, had been dedicated to calling Israel to repent. To preparing the way for the Messiah. And His reward? Prison. Wrongly imprisoned by a corrupt leader. And quite honestly, he couldn't figure out what Jesus was doing. What God was doing in his life. But we see from John exactly the right thing to do when we have doubts. And this brings us to our first point if you're taking notes. First point, when we have doubts that Jesus is the one, we should take those doubts to Jesus. Now, since John is in prison, he can't go himself. So he sends two of his disciples and they follow John's instructions. They go to Jesus and they ask him word for word what John had told him to ask. And I love how Jesus responds. He doesn't go into this big monologue explaining why he is the one. He could have done that. Why He is the promised one. He could have done that. He could have gone into a monologue. But instead, He tells those two disciples to just stand right here. I want you to stand right here and I want you to watch. And then we see in verse 21, in that hour, He healed many people of diseases and plagues and evil spirits. 
And on many who were blind, He bestowed sight. And then He says, Go and tell John what you've seen and what you've heard. And this leads us to our second point. When we have doubts that Jesus is the One, think about the times in our lives that He's shown us. He's shown us. He is who He says He is. He is the One. Jesus doesn't make empty claims. He does what He says He's going to do. Look at the times in your own life if you're a believer. Look at the times in your life that He's proven Himself faithful. He's proven Himself to you. I remember a kind of a dark time in my life in college. I won't really go into details, but there were things going on that just really had devastated me. Now, looking back on it now, through different eyes, they weren't nearly as serious as I thought they were back then. But at the time, it was pretty scary. And I had this plan for my life mapped out. I had my, my plan, my plan mapped out the way that I thought my life was going to go. And now, that plan had been completely destroyed. And honestly, I was, I was kind of scared. I had no idea what God was doing. I had no idea what God had in store for me. I used to drive this little red Toyota pickup truck. Russell. I used to drive this little red Toyota pickup truck. Yours is blue, I know. But. And I remember going out and getting that, that little truck and I, and I went out to this park and I just laid down in the bed of the truck <clears throat> and I was just praying to God, just calling out to God, God, what are you doing? What's going on? How is this? What's happening in my life? And it wasn't an audible voice, I don't think, but it was a voice in my brain that just said, Romans 8.15. Romans 8.15. Romans 8.15. Over and over again. Now, I'd read Romans 8.15, but like many of you right now, you're searching your brain, what does Romans 8.15 say? I didn't know either. So, I jumped, uh, jumped up, jumped in the truck, ran back to uh, the apartment, grabbed my Bible, sat down, Open it up to Romans 8.15. Romans 8.15 says this, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. You did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons and daughters 
by whom we cry, Abba, Daddy, Father. God could have shown me any number of ways uh, that He had a plan, that He was in control, that He knew what He was doing way better than I did. But He did that by sending me back to the Word of God. And so our point number three, if you're taking notes, when we have doubts that Jesus is the One, He shows us in His Word. He shows us through the Scriptures. Jesus said to John's disciples, go and tell John what you've seen and heard. And then, what does He do? He quotes them Scripture. Now this may not have been apparent as we were reading this, but Isaiah 35 and Isaiah 61, 1. He's quoting that to them as He sends them away. Jesus knows that John is going to know these passages. John was a student of the Scriptures. He's going to know these passages. And they're going to comfort him and they're going to embolden him in his situation. Why? Because these passages were about what the Messiah is going to be like when He comes. Lee read from Isaiah 35 just a just a few minutes ago, they say that the Messiah, when the Messiah comes, He's going to do all of these things. All of these things that, that Jesus had just done in front of John's disciples. The people are going to be healed of diseases, plagues, evil spirits. The blind will receive sight. The deaf will hear. And Jesus is saying, look what the Scripture says. And look what I've done. What I've just done. And he knows that this is going to embolden John. Now as I was reading this, there is one interesting thing that Jesus leaves out as he's quoting these Scriptures. And this, this must have been a little bit puzzling to John as his disciples report back to him and, and he's thinking through Isaiah 35 and Isaiah 61 and he's thinking through all these things and he gets to this point. This must have been just a little bit puzzling to him. Isaiah 61 says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. Jesus gives John that part. But he leaves off the last half of that verse. To, pro- to proclaim liberty to the captives. And the opening of the prison to those who are bound. Where is John? Prison. Now there's two fold reason for that. One is he knows that John won't 
won't be out of prison. But also, as I was reading a commentary this week, and I, I couldn't say it any better, so I'm just going to read this commentary to you. It says, There's no liberation, and there's no jailbreak. And He wants to know, Lord, why am I here? And Jesus doesn't explain that to John. Do you know why? He healed the blind. You know why He healed the blind and the lame and the lepers and He raised the dead and He preached the Gospel to the poor, but He doesn't set those captives free. One, as we talked about, He knows that John's not getting out of prison, but also because He's going to have to die to set those captives free. And He hasn't done that yet. This is why you, you and I and John have to trust that Jesus is the One. We don't get to see the full picture. We don't have the luxury of omnipotence. God does. We have no idea sometimes what God is doing. But what we can do is trust in the nature of God. That He's loving. And that He's wise and that He's omnipotent and He sees more than we could ever see. He sees the full picture. We only get this much of it. He sees the full picture. We can trust in the nature of God that He will not break His promise to us. And that Scripture will be fulfilled. We can know that. We can trust in that. So the disciples are sent back to report to John. And then Jesus does something that, as I read this, to me at least, is, is a little bit confusing. And kind of mind-blowing, really, when you think about it. He starts bragging about John. And the reason that it's confusing and mind-blowing to me is that as far as we know, John never hears it. He doesn't know. He starts asking the crowd, what did you think you were going into the wilderness to hear? A weak, feeble reed shaken by the wind? Some rich dude wearing fine clothes? No, that's not John. John's a big, hairy, burly, locust-eating, kind of crazy kind of guy. That, that's John. That's what you went to see. And then he says, John is the greatest prophet to ever live. Think about that. That's pretty high praise. That's some pretty good company. Right? And Luke tells us that the crowd just loves what 
Jesus is saying. And what is Jesus doing here? This crowd, they love, for mostly, for the most part, they love and respect John. And what an amazingly kind thing that Jesus is doing here. This is not John's finest hour. And instead of rebuking John for his lack of faith and his doubt, Jesus is lifting him up. John is clearly a man of God. But John's human. And he's in a tough, tough spot. And the Savior of the world Blows me away. The Savior of the world steps in at John's weakest hour and says, let me tell you about my servant, John. Let me tell you about my servant, John. And you know what? And this is good. I want you to look at me. I want you to look at me. This is good. That is exactly what He's going to do for you and I and those who are children of God on Judgment Day. Can I get an amen for that? Hallelujah. Yeah. You and I are going to be able to stand without blame, without fear of wrath on Judgment Day. Not because of anything that we've done. Not because we're awesome. Because Jesus is awesome. Because of what He's done. And He's going to step in and He's going to say, let me tell you about My servant. All we have to give is weakness. And yet, He shows us grace after grace after grace. Just like he's doing for John. Right here. But as I said in the beginning, there are those in the crowd, the religious leaders, the scribes, and the Pharisees that are there too. And they don't like John or Jesus. Jesus speaking to them says, John came fasting, not drinking wine. And you said he was demon possessed. I came eating and drinking and having meals with sinners. And you say, I'm a glutton and a drunkard. Nothing pleases you. Nothing pleases you. Verse 30, the Pharisees and lawyers Reject the purpose of God for themselves. Why? Having not been baptized by Him. This is not about baptism. This is about a repentant heart. They don't see their need for Him. 
their hearts have been hardened and they're not interested in anything that John or Jesus has to say. If we repent of our sin, we find in Jesus more love and grace than we could ever imagine. More love and grace than we could ever imagine. Some of you out there can't imagine taking your doubts and fears to Jesus. It's like you're, you're ashamed of them. You're not supposed to have them. And Jesus says, even John the Baptist, the greatest prophet ever to live, has doubts and fears. But in Him, if we take those doubts and fears to Jesus, we're going to see exactly what John saw. We're going to see Jesus not puffed up, not rebuking us. How dare you question me? How dare you question who I am? We see Jesus humbling Himself to help a disciple, a follower, in their weakest hour. Pointing them to the Scripture. Pointing them to the Word. And saying, you see how I've already been at work here? You can trust in what I'm doing. I know what I'm doing. We take the question to Jesus. Jesus, are You the one, Jesus? Or shall we look for another? Jesus says, I'm the one. I'm the one. We're going to move into a time of worship and taking of the Lord's Supper. This is a, a time that the Scripture calls us to examine our hearts. It warns us not to take this time lightly. Not to take this time with unconfessed sins or holding a grudge against another. And this is a time to examine our hearts and confess our sins. If you're a guest with us this morning and you're a believer in Christ, we invite you to partake.
with us. This is the Lord's table, not Providence's table. So we would invite you to take with us. If you're not a believer in Christ, we would just ask that you would let the cup and bread pass. This is important. This is an important time. A sacred time for believers. So as our deacons come forward, let's pray. Father, Lord God, we thank You. Father, we thank You for this Word. Father, we thank You that we can take our doubts and our fears to You and find in You a God more gracious and loving than we could ever imagine. And Father, as we take this bread and take this cup, Father, let us do this as You've asked us, as You have commanded us in Your Word to do. Let us take this and do this in remembrance of You. Father, we would pray, Lord, that You would uh, that You would help us to confess our sins, reconcile with our brothers and sisters, and Father, truly do this in remembrance of You. For it's in your holy, blessed name we pray.